I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 42. Today in the show, we're taking a step back from strategies, tips, and tactics, and instead focusing on another of the most important aspects of deer hunting, the stories. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. And today, we're taking a slightly different angle on the show. You know, over the past couple months, we've covered everything from hardcore hunting strategies to important topical issues like hunter harassment, declining deer herds, and everything in between. But today, I, I kind of want to take a deep breath and think back a little bit on some of the little things that make us love hunting so much and the experiences, memories, and stories that all go along with them. So, in this episode of the podcast, Dan and I are going to be regaling you all with a handful of our favorite hunting stories from the past. But, before we get into these yarns, Dan, how are you this snowy afternoon? Well, uh, you just said two words I've probably never heard before. (laughs) What were those words? Uh afternoon and no just kidding it was <laughs> uh yarns and regaling <laughs> come on yarn is it's just it's an awesome classic word for stories like how okay. have you never heard that well i guess in 2015 where i live uh we don't use that that much anymore <laughs> that, that plus i probably have the vocabulary of a fifth grader so <laughs> well you know to be honest i don't think a lot of people around here use that either but it's kind of a cool old-fashioned word that a geek like me might use so, so are, are we going to be talk talking in like old english today and be like ye story of ye shipwreck <laughs> hey, that'd be a pretty good idea i mean if you could pull off the entire episode with that ac- accent i say go for it well i tell you what if i do that you may just have your lowest viewed <laughs> podcast of all time <laughs> i think you're right or at least the lowest like length of listening. Like they'll get through the first right. like two minutes and then click everyone's off. <laughs> this is dumb. I'm out of here. Yep. Done with those guys. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. I was hoping we could kind of just chat through some of our favorite hunting stories. I mean, I don't know about you, but growing up, I was just obsessed with hunting stories. I remember 
I think we've, we've talked a couple times about how big I am into reading. And yeah. like, I think one of the first things I ever read was up at my family hunting camp. My grandpa always had a stack of field and stream and outdoor life magazines sitting on this little coffee table next to the wood burning, wood burning stove. And I would just sit there at like four years old or however old I was. And I just remember I'd page through those. Like every time there wasn't something going on, I'd be sitting in that chair looking through those magazines and, you know, imagining hunting stories and eventually reading hunting stories and then just bugging the crap out of my uncles and my dad and my grandpa about stories. I wanted to hear about their first deer. I wanted to hear about their favorite hunting story. I wanted to hear about the time this happened or, or that happened. I just have loved those stories and been fascinated by them. So you remember the outdoor life. I think they still do it today, but there's a, there's stories in there, but there's, they're illustrated. So it's almost like a, a comic book. Yep. That was, that was my favorite part of outdoor life. And there's one particular article I remember, and it's just stuck out over the years, <laughs> but it's a guy shoots a buck with a brand new rifle that his wife got him for Christmas. And he sets the rifle in the buck's antlers and he takes the picture. When the flash goes off, the buck magically comes to and runs off and he wasn't dead and <laughs> and runs off into the wilderness with a brand new gun in his antlers. That's that's amazing. That was my that's that one for some reason just sticks out in my head. That's awesome. But yeah, I, I love I love those kind of stories too. Yeah, there's just something about I don't know. It, it it really gets down to the core of what hunting's all about, right? right? I mean, when it comes down to it, it's about a group of guys and girls sitting around a campfire talking about you know great memories from the past and the experiences that you know. Sure, you know when it comes to hunting, we all like to you know bag a deer and put antlers on the wall or whatever it might be, but it's the memories I think that really that really make it for me. Yeah, yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. Memories is after all, it's. It's, I don't know about you, but it's, it's why I do it. I mean, it's, it's something, it sucks because I, I'll go back and I'll tell these stories to my wife. I was like, Hey, I saw a deer back there one time. Let me tell you about it. And she's just like, Ugh. but I'm glad I have you in my life, Mark, to, to tell you those stories. <laughs> I'm glad I can be there for you in this special <laughs> way. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, there's just something about it. And I thought today, you know, we could touch, we could talk through some of our favorite stories. I don't know. I've had a little bit of time to think through a couple of things um, that I want to share today. I don't know if you've had any time to do that yet, Dan, but it was funny. I was sitting um, with my dad hunting, and I, I briefly mentioned this a couple episodes back, but this is actually one of my favorite you know, hunting memories ever, and I already told you guys that story, the story of my dad and I on our hunt uh back in late December, I think it was, um, when he got that buck back on my farm. And, you know, that night, just before he got that shot, we were actually sitting in the blind telling hunting stories. You know, just like when I was like five years old, I was sitting there just asking him, you know, Dad, tell me about tell me about one of your favorite hunts with your dad. And tell me about that one time with, with GP and the big spike. And he was just telling me all these old stories, and it reminded me again of when I was you know, five years old, sitting there with my grandpa and my dad and my uncles, and there's just nothing like it. So I guess, Dan, what I was hoping to do is maybe we could bounce back and forth, tell some of our favorite stories, and I'm sure we're going to have some questions about your stories. We can kind of dig into those and, and kind of just see where this takes us. I have no idea, you know, where these conversations might go, what kind of stories we might tell, but 
I hope we can just share some of our favorite memories and kind of think through some of those things. And I, I imagine that'll be something that a lot of our listeners will um, maybe enjoy and, and definitely will be able to relate to. Yeah, it sounds good. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a question right off the bat. Let's hear it. So my what I, what I really like to to know about people and, and what stories I like to hear from people are if there is a particular moment that you became hooked on the outdoors or, or hunting, whether it was a camping trip or a fishing trip or a hunting trip or a, or a, a specific hunting experience, I, I'd like to hear your story on that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it would be a two-part answer to that. Um, I'll give you the first part really briefly. Um, one, one was related to hunting and then one was just the outdoors in general and the outdoors in general, I won't tell the whole story, but we took a family trip, um, to Glacier National Park when I was probably like seven years old or eight years old. And, um, on that trip, just seeing the mountains and all the animals and the wildlife that really got me hooked on just wilderness and the outdoors. But before that I got hooked on hunting from a very early age and um, there's there's two experiences related to deer that really got me just passionate about deer um, the first one really briefly was the first memory I can recall about deer ever I was probably I think my dad told me I was four some four or five somewhere around there and my grandpa had taken me up to our deer camp and again this is where a lot of my stories take place a lot of my memories and really where I became who I am as a hunter, really that, that place molded me really into the person in general that I am. Um, and we call our little camp up there, Kenroven, just the name of the deer camp was Kenroven. Um, and this is a really special place for my family. And my grandpa took me up there by myself one time in the summer. And we were just the two of us up there doing some chores around camp. And he brought a video camera with us. And on that first day, it was probably July, we were going to go sit out in one of our blinds, um, one of our kind of gun hunting ground blinds and just see if we saw any deer. And that was this experience. I remember going in the blind, sitting there, and deer started coming out into this field we were sitting next to. And it was the first time that I remember ever seeing deer up close. And if I remember something like seven or eight does all came within like 10 yards of the blind. And the whole time, my grandpa, who we called GP, GP was filming the whole thing and then filming me. And I was just so absolutely enthralled with these deer right in front of me, so close. And I always loved animals, but then, you know, seeing these deer, you know, I, I felt like I'd almost touch, could almost touch them. And for whatever, for whatever reason, that just captivated me. Um, and then I was able to watch that video again and show my mom and show my dad that video. And that was just a really, really cool thing. So that was one of those first moments. And how old were you then? I think four or five, four, and uh, I, somewhere around there. That, I, I can just imagine your, your face like, I don't know. You have a young looking face as it is, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I can just sit there and imagine, Oh God, grandpa, look, look at the deer. That's... I mean, I, I have, I have nephews and nieces that are not nephews, uh, little cousins that are the same way. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how it was too. Like the whole time, like I haven't seen the video in a while, but I think I watched it maybe a couple of years ago. Again, my family still has it. And, um, the whole time you can hear me whispering like, GP, look, look at the deer, look at the deer, look at the deer. And the whole time he's like, Mark, shh, Mark, be quiet, Mark, quiet <laughs> down. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. 
Um, that needs to be online. You need to get that up. You know, I really do need to find that because that's like such a defining moment for me and pretty funny. Plus, if people saw what it looked like when I was four years old, there'd be a lot of laughs. <laughs> so I should try to try to get that for my dad. Um, but really quickly, this the second one that like just took me over the edge is something that just sticks with me. Whenever I see the pictures from this night, it still just really sticks with me. Um, and this is, again, at our camp at Kenrovan. And now I was probably eight, maybe, somewhere around there. And at this point, I was, like, hooked on deer camp, like, hooked on hunting season. Like, the night before we were going to go up north for the opening of gun season, I was just, like, stoked. I remember, like, going on the bus and, like, telling all my friends, I'm going to deer camp. It's deer season. I'm going to deer camp. And nobody really knew what I was talking about or cared because I grew up in the city. Um, so it wasn't really a common thing. None of my friends did that. Um, but I was just so excited at seven or eight years old. And I remember going up there. And opening day, one of the guys at our camp, um, his name was Terry, he was in there deep in the swamp, and he shot a nice eight-point buck. And that was, like, probably the biggest buck I'd seen to that point, nice eight-pointer. So it was always a really big deal when anyone at camp shot a buck. Um, you know, I remember always sitting in the blind with my dad, and every time I heard a gunshot, I'd be like, Dad, was that someone? You know, was that one of our guys? Was that one of our guys? And it was always really, really far away. And my dad was like, no, no, you'll know when the, you know, you'll know. Like when it's actually close enough to be one of our guys, you'll know it. Um, and then finally we're sitting there in the morning and then there was just a boom that like made me jump out of my pants. It was so loud. And I was, oh, that must be one of our guys. And it was, it was Terry. Um, so I just remember going back to camp after the hunt that morning and seeing him come dragging in with this great big eight pointer covered in dark, nasty black muck from deep in the swamp. And we, you know, took care of him, took pictures and stuff. And the whole group of guys was all around it. We pulled him up into the buck pole. And I would just stand in front of the buck pole for hours, like all through the lunch break or lunch hour. I was just standing next to the deer and I would just look at it and touch it and spin it and walk around in circles and just stare at the deer. I was just fascinated with it. Well, then fast forward to that night, I was already really excited because Terry shot this big deer. We go out hunting again. Now, again, probably 5 o'clock or 5.15, boom, huge gunshot, scares me half to death. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Dad, was that another one of our guys? Is that someone else? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that must have been. We got home that night or that evening back into camp, and you know, after dark, here comes GP, my grandpa walking in, and you can see a big smile on his face and the little um, flashlight I think he must have had with him at the time. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Mark, I, I got a buck. I got a nice buck. And I was just so excited. And I just remember it was just the scene of the night maybe is why it was so special because it was just beautiful. It had been snowing all night. This was like fresh big puffy white snow it was one of those really clear nights so there's a big moon the stars were out it was dark by now so big moon stars and it was snowing and you know as we we all kind of got together waited till everyone came in from the hunt and i remember this was probably like 1997 i think is the year um so we just had big kerosene like coleman lanterns we weren't like didn't have big powerful lanterns or anything with battery power this was like the coleman um or propane or whatever the heck it was um and I remember all the guys had these big lanterns, and everyone trudged out to go across the creek where GP had left the buck. He'd shot it, he'd recovered it, dragged it to the edge of the creek, and then we were all going to go out there together, take him over the over to the other side of the creek, and bring him back to the cabin. And I just remember just being so excited, walking behind all the men, you know, all the adults. I was the only kid there, and it was like the other five or six adults. And I, I just remember thinking, like, I'm a, I'm a hunter now. Like, I'm here with all the men walking into the woods in the middle of the night with lanterns it's snowing and we're going to see a big buck 
and <laughs> and we come up to the edge of this creek, and again, it's snowing like crazy. Now it must have clouded over because I remember there's a lot of snow, and I, I'll always remember this image. We get to the edge of the creek, and my grandpa held up his lantern, and you could just see the prettiest thing you ever saw, a great big, he was only a seven-pointer, but he was a big, wide seven-pointer, the biggest buck I'd ever seen killed up there still to this day, laying on his side in just a perfect pile of snow, his eyes glowing in the lantern glow, and I was just like, oh, it was amazing. And the whole experience then from then, you know, going across the river, dragging him over, getting him back to the cabin, getting him up on the buck pole, um, and then from there on out, the whole rest of the weekend or however long we were there, maybe four days or so, Every time I wasn't hunting or eating, I was sitting next to the buck pole, staring at those two bucks, thinking about it, dreaming about, man, someday maybe I'll be able to get a buck like that. And uh, ever since then, I've been a deer hunting nut. So how long how long have you been going up to that Ken Rovin? And I take it Ken Rovin is two people's last names? Uh, well, no. no. It's, um, okay. It is – so – the story of Ken Rovin, really, really briefly, is my grandpa bought the cabin um, back in the 80s, and um, but they'd been going up north to this general area for a long time, since the 60s, and there'd been a, another hunting camp somewhere, or hunting or fishing camp that my grandpa went to at one point called Dunroven, I believe. So when he bought this camp, he wanted to give it a name, and I, I guess he remembered Dunroven and thought that was a cool name, and so he decided to switch it to Ken Rovin, since our last name was Kenyon. Nice. So, so that's Ken Rovin, and um, I've been going there since I was probably, since I was a baby, since I was born. Yeah. I mean, it was bought before I was born. So, as long as I can remember, we've we've been going there. I mean, that's where I learned to shoot a gun. That's where I learned to sit in a blind. That's where I hunted for the first time. That's where I saw deer for the first time. That's where, um, that's where everything happened. A lot of firsts. A lot of firsts. So it's a it's a very very special place for me. Cool. Yeah, dude. That's. Uh... I love hearing stories like that. Yeah, that was probably a long way to get to that. I'm a I'm a rambler. <laughs> That's all right. It's a pretty special place. So let me let me send that question back to you though, Dan. Do you remember that first experience that got you hooked? Man, I tell you what, there there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of them. It was kind of a, a whole my whole growing up. I, I didn't necessarily share the the family type of outdoors, you know, hunting type of thing. Um, I, I remember every time I would, you know, go, um, go with my, out with my uncles, we would go, um, we would go pheasant hunting. And when I was young and my dad didn't hunt and my mom, she took, she really didn't hunt a lot, but I remember the, that like during the like Christmas or Thanksgiving, uh, you can road hunt in Iowa, which means, uh, you drive down the road and you'll see a pheasant in the field back when we had lots of pheasants. And then the dog would jump out in the ditch and you just stand on the road and, and shoot the, shoot the pheasant. And I just remember thinking how cool I was to go out with my uncles, uh, Dana and Alan and either ch- check trap lines or, uh, um, or, you know, I shot my very first pheasant with my uncle Dana and it, you know, not nothing too terribly detailed, but just, just a combination of all of those, um, all of those experiences kind of rolled into one, got me, got me used to the out, you know, got me in love with the outdoors. I, you know, I remember going camping with my dad, um, two real quick stories. (laughs) My, my grandma, well, my uncle was at college. 
my grandma would run the trap line for my <laughs> uncle. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So here we are in, you know, she's in hip waders and I'm in these knee high boots and I'm probably like six. My uncle, my brother was a real young, he was probably just a baby or, you know, in one, two, three years old. And I remember it was my job because my grandma thought it was gross. If we caught a muskrat or um, a possum or a raccoon, it was my job to club the animal over the head with a baseball <laughs> bat. <laughs> that is a, that explains a lot of things, Dan. So, so I just remember my grandma being like, okay, we got one, go get him, Daniel. And then just whack, whack, whack. And, oh, uh, that's funny. If they weren't dead already, you know, and right. then the other one was we used to, we did used to go fishing a lot. Uh, and I remember I had like a Kermit the frog reel again real young mm-hmm. and what we would do probably is eight, go to, 18 19 when you had that real yeah eight, 22 23 yeah. years old <laughs> Kermit the frog fishing pole yep and what we used to do is in these cattle pastures up in uh, northern Iowa where I'm from uh, like originally we had uh, these cattle uh, cricks and there'd be certain points that would be closer to a main river that would hold a lot of carp so we would take a can of corn and put hooks or put the kernels of corn on a hook with a bobber and just throw it out there and wait for uh, um, a carp or a bullhead to eat it. And I remember I had my, I saw my bobber go under and I'm looking back at my dad and I didn't say anything, but he, I don't know if he was in the bushes to go pee or he was tending to my, my mom and younger brother at the time, but I just had caught a huge carp and all my energy kicked in and I didn't, I forgot that I had to reel it in and (laughs) it was so big. It started pulling me into the water and I was just kept going deeper and deeper. And finally I got to about chest high and I go, dad. And I look back and my dad like loses his mind. He thinks I'm going to drown. He's running into the creek, splashing. And he grabs me with one hand, grabs the pole with the other hand and just keeps walking backwards. And I had caught like a 14 pound carp. And I I thought that was the coolest thing. And, and then I remember my dad hitting it with a rock and throwing it in the weeds. But, uh, (laughs) but you know, as far as the outdoors and and stuff like that, it, that, those are the the moments that I I remember, not necessarily the the perfect. I mean, I'm always going to remember my very first, um, bow kill, uh, with a, with a doe, but, um, you know, I like like I've told you, I didn't really used to be into to hunting seriously till about 2006. Mm-hmm. And what really flipped the switch for me was, I and I and I just wrote an article about this on um, on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast or uh, Nine Finger Chronicles uh, blog, but I had like just broken up with a girl and was kind of feeling sorry for myself. I had lost my house. I had had lost my, or I lost my job, which meant I lost my house. And, uh, um, so it's like a giant snowball of crap hit me. And, uh, I, I coped with that by just cannonballing into bow hunting. I went and I spent a whole bunch of money. I got a bow, I got an arrow. I went and I got some tree stands. And I just remember spending hours upon hours upon hours in the timber, not necessarily seeing deer or even knowing really what I was doing, but just loving every minute of it because it got me away from 
the th- the negative thoughts or the the you know me feeling sorry for myself. I was focused on something different, and and I used I guess bow hunting as a treatment mm-hmm. to get away from the quote unquote sadness and and it just it's continued to snowball ever since then. I think uh, I think deer hunting and bow hunting and the outdoors in general has saved a lot of people's lives in that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's there's a certain healing aspect to being able to participate in something like this. That'll, um, it's I mean, it's a great distraction away from negative things in your life. But then it's also got some inherently positive things I think that can really um, work a little bit of magic in each one right. of us. So right. I think I had this conversation with you at the ATA show. Uh, unfortunately, we we're bellied up to a bar when I shared it. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back in the day when I was in my early twenties and you know, I wasted a lot of my, a lot of my time bellied up to a bar and, you know, chasing women and doing dumb things. And when I got into bow hunting in the outdoors, it's just like my life shifted in, in more of a positive direction. And, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. And I think that ties in really well to another point I wanted to make about, you know, our, our first couple stories we just talked about there, right? We just talked about what was the thing that got us hooked on the outdoors. And for each one of us, it was small experiences when mm-hmm. we were when we were kids. And I think that to me just is a great reminder of how important it is to try to get young people out in the outdoors. It's not, we don't need to do anything fancy with them. We don't need to put them in front of a big buck. They don't need to kill anything. But just giving them the opportunity to be out there with us I think can make such a huge difference. And you know, things that maybe aren't such a big deal to us, maybe, you know, we saw a raccoon one day and it ran really close to our feet. To me, that'd be like, uh, big deal. But yeah. maybe to my nephew who was with me, you know, that would be a moment that he'll never forget. It, these these small experiences with us when our children or, you know, nieces and nephews or friends or whoever it might be, a mentor hunter, you know, it can be a really life-changing thing to get outside and to have these experiences. And I think that's just a great reminder for you and for everybody out, or not you, for me and for everybody else out there listening, um, you know, how important it is for us to try to get people out there, try to get young people involved, take them out hunting, take them out hiking, take them out fishing. Um, a little bit of time taken out of our day can maybe even change someone's life because to your point, Dan, you know, these types of things can be a great way to keep people from getting involved in negative things like you know whatever other things out there might be like cocaine <laughs> you know that wasn't the, that wasn't the first thing that came to mind for me crystal meth heroin <laughs> but yes all the above if we can get someone deer hunting instead of any we of those can just save one attic that'd be that'd be a, that'd be a win today if we could do that so <laughs> so yeah um that's awesome though um now Tying into something else you just mentioned there, you talked about the fact that you just got into bow hunting when you were, you know, pretty old. Um, do you remember, and I, I'm pretty sure you do, but can you tell us a story of that first, either the first hunt, if you remember your first hunt, or I'm sure you remember your first kill. Can you tell us about either one of those? Yeah, um, and and I had been bow hunting since I was 12 years old, but it wasn't the main focus in my life. I mean, I was in sports and I was in Boy Scouts and I was in um, uh, like church youth group and whatnot. But but the very, what set it off, and I can almost remember exactly what, um, what, what happened as far as, I tell you, my first, my first real serious hunt 
I mean, I remember sitting in a tree stand when I was younger and watching deer walk by and, you know, I, I hardly ever practiced like, okay, here, here's the story of my very first bow. My mom and me got it, got it at a garage sale. Okay. I, we got a bale of hay for my grandpa and we took a piece of cardboard and took a marker and drew a circle on it. Okay. Maybe, maybe a five or six inch circle. Mm -hmm. I stood back at maybe 15 yards and, uh, drew back and I, you know, it was, notice I said the word garage sale. Mm -hmm. Every, every arrow was different. Every broadhead was different. <laughs> I, I drew it back and it just go mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so loud <laughs> and just, so I got like within four inches of, of that. And my mom being the person that she is, Oh, Daniel, that's just really good. I'm like, I'm ready to go hunting. I'm mom. ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to go hunting. So I don't even know how old I was, probably close to 14. Now it was probably between 12 and 14 years old. And my mom's like, so what do you do? And uh, she, she took me out into the country. She dropped me off on a gravel road. And I said, I guess you just kind of uh, wait here until dark for me. And I didn't ask permission. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't ask permission to be on the property. I just was like, "Oh, there's some woods." <laughs> like my mom drove about a mile south out of town. I jumped a fence and just walked into whatever oh, random woods I was at. <laughs> and uh, and I sat in a fence line and just I don't even know if I saw anything, but I just remember. My mom come like I could see my mom's car. She just stood there the whole time because I I think she was nervous <laughs> of this me and my first experience and just you know being fairly young. I may have saw one deer a long ways away, but you know I saw some rabbits and whatnot. I came back. I'm like nope. You know nothing's moving today, mom. You know like, <laughs> like the one article I read in Field and Stream made right. me a good hunter. Right. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But then like when I got into it, like I said, I was, I was just, I was just, uh, uh, you know, got over a bad time in my life and, um, I was working landscaping with a, a guy and, you know, he let me go earlier. I, I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted, but I remember almost perfectly. I, I got in my truck, I drove to uh, a property that my um, stepdad had permission to hunt and he got me on it. And I'm sitting in a draw that splits a CRP field and an ag field. And it's a really deep draw and deer would just file out of there every day. And one of the first hunts that I remember sitting on, and it's, it's one of those cool Octobers. It's like the perfect tailgating weather. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. just a just a hooded sweatshirt type of day is all you need anything more than that you're too hot anything less than that you're cold mm -hmm. i remember the sun's the sun setting and and just like the the color of fall was just so brilliant and the light coming through the trees it just it it made a glow that didn't seem like normal like the entire world had a different hue to it and I just remember watching the birds fly by and just like losing myself in nature, it just like almost coming out of my skin. It, and it just like, it hit me 
this is what I have to do. This is what makes me happy. This is, this is, you know, I don't even know if I saw a lot of deer that, that day, but I just remember like, I don't know, like I was, like I was on a drug. Yeah. It, it, it just, that, it almost changed my life. And I think it did change my life. It, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's so deep. I can remember the detail. Like I can remember the old tree stand that was homemade that I, that I sat in. Mm-hmm. I remember the bow rope was black. Like <laughs> I remember the, the bow I had. I remember that color of the arrows. I mean, I remember just like the entryway I walked into this property and I haven't hunted that property in, in probably 10 years. So just, I don't know. It's something that's going to stick with me the rest of my life. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer, and it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's pretty cool. And I think I think a lot of people listening can probably relate to something like that. Something like that too. You know, I mean, for a lot of us, we uh, those same feelings and, and the the vibrancy of those memories. I think a lot of us have those same types of moments and places and experiences because because this whole this whole hunting thing creates those types of moments. You know, it's a special thing. Yep, that's cool. That is awesome. How um, about you? Well, well, what? what what specifically do you want to hear about my first hunts or my first bow hunt or kill? How about your first, how about your first kill with a bow? All right. So, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Plus I'll add a short uh, preview prequel. I'll say. So, okay. you know, like I said, I, I was <clears throat> exposed to hunting since the day I was born. 
Um, but our family was a traditional northern Michigan gun hunting family. Okay. Um, you know, the, the basic gist of it was my grandpa and uncles and dad and a couple friends would go up there the day before gun season. They would sit down next to a tree or ground blind. Maybe they built that summer and they would just sit there in their traditional places and shoot the first deer they saw buck first buck they saw my family was not a doe hunting family for you know you know how it was back in the day a lot of people just were against shooting does that was kind of how it was with my family so I had you know grown up doing that um, but up there in northern Michigan at that time right around the end of the 90s the deer population plummeted so it went to the point where you know back in the day in the 70s and 80s and early 90s you know every year there was a couple bucks on the buck pole well by the time I started, you know, going up there a lot, you know, the last good season was that 1997 season, I think, that I mentioned earlier when those two nice seven and eight pointers were shot. After that, it was like we hardly saw any deer, <clears throat> nothing big at all. Um, I think, you know, there was a couple yearlings that were killed after that. But, like, I mean, we'd go the entire season and, and see a deer maybe, two deer, three deer. Um, one spike might be killed or, you know, we go two or three years and then a forky's killed and two or three years and a four-pointer or five-pointer or something like that. So it was really rough hunting up there. Um, that's what I grew up with. That was the only hunting I was exposed to until I was, like, 14 or 15, I think. And at that point, though, I was really, you know, I loved hunting, was obsessed with it. Um, but I could only, you know, the only way I was going was when I went up to north to gun camp. So I convinced my dad that we should try bow hunting. So kind of similar to you, um, you know, we didn't know anything about bow hunting. My dad and I knew nothing. Um, and so I just remember my grandpa had an old longbow, like the big old wooden, like four and a half foot tall longbow. And that's what I was given to start with. So same deal with you. I was shooting at like a hay bale or some kind of target. I can't remember exactly what it was. And, you know, it wasn't much of a shot, but you know, for four, four years or something like that, I hunted um, with a bow behind my parents' house on the west side of Michigan. Um, so again, the only place I had to hunt now, other than up north at our deer camp, was my family's three and a half acre lot behind their house. <laughs> so very small, tiny little patch of timber, and that's where I learned to bow hunt. And I saw some deer, but never could quite get close enough. Couldn't get a shot. And again, because my family was a gun hunting family, and again, kind of my whole hunting history was just following following in the footsteps of what my family did. Cause that's all I knew. So no one ever did, used tree stands. Did they make fun of you when you started to bow hunt? No. Or give you a hard time? You know, no, they didn't. Um, my grandpa has some reservations about it because he actually did try bow hunting for a while. Um, back, I'm not sure when this was the seventies or eighties or some, some point at that time. And, um, he had an experience where he wounded a deer with a bow hit it in the shoulder or something like that, and it ran off. They never found it, and that just really turned him off to bow hunting. Um, you know, he, he didn't like the idea of, of wounding an animal, didn't like the idea of the fact that, you know, at that time there was a lot of discussion about the fact that bows weren't lethal enough to, you know, you know humanely kill deer consistently. Um, and so I think, you know, given all those things, he, he put the bow up and never went at it again. So when I started, I think there was a little bit of skepticism maybe. Um, but in general, they were supportive. They didn't give me a hard time. But... We didn't hunt with tree stands. None of my family did. And my mom was like, oh, no, you can't use a tree stand. So even though I wanted tree stands, they said no. So I had to hunt from a home, a homemade little cloth ground blind that I made on the ground on the three acres in a neighborhood behind my parents' house. And that's how I bow hunted for the first, like, four years. And um, I remember, you know, 
seeing a couple deer, nothing big, but seeing deer, having close calls. But finally, I had my first encounter with a big buck. And it really was a pretty decent buck. Um, I was probably 16, maybe. I'm not sure exactly. Old. Some, 15, 16, I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, and I remember <laughs> the way we built our ground blinds is we had old ski poles. And we had, like, camouflage, like, Berber fabric. And yeah. we would just take, like, four ski poles or four sticks and stretch that camouflage fabric across those and staple them. So you'd have <laughs> – yeah. And so you'd have a bundle. So you could roll it up. So you'd roll it up. And then when I got to wherever I wanted to go, I would unroll it, put one stake in the ground, pull the camouflage top, put another stake in the ground, pull the camouflage top, put another, and I kind of wrap that around me. I'd sit in front of a tree and have that kind of a half circle in front of me. So I'm sitting there with my great big longbow, sitting behind my camouflage fabric, and I remember this little crick to the right-hand side, and it was probably middle October, late October, and it was one of those, kind of like you mentioned, a beautiful morning, just perfect autumn colors, but really crisp. It was still one of those like crisp, cold, frosty mornings, and I remember looking to my right, I caught a flash movement, and on the other side of this crick was a little finger, a little point on the other side, and I just saw this big deer step out on top of this finger and turn his head towards me, and I just remember thinking it was the biggest deer I'd ever seen in my life. And it was probably, I think it was a 10-pointer. Um, at that time, I had no idea, you know, how to score a deer at all. Um, but looking back on it, if my memory, if my memory served me right, he was probably 100, 100 inches, 110 inches, maybe something like that. But to me, that was like a giant. I'd never seen anything like that up north or anywhere. So I was like, oh, my gosh. I started freaking out, shivering and shaking. And he comes across the, the creek, drops down low, comes up the other side, and I can, I can still just see him pop up over the side and just start coming towards me. I was like, holy smokes, this is actually going to happen. And to that point, I hadn't killed a deer yet because, again, my family wasn't you know into killing does. So I could have shot a million does, but I never did. So I was like, I'm waiting for a buck, a decent buck was going to be my first deer. So this big buck's coming across. He gets to probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 yards, and he's, he's walking down in front of me. Um, and I remember getting my bow drawn and I was kind of following him cause he was moving from right to left across the front of me. I had the bow drawn and I'm following him with my arrow, um, as he goes across, but waiting for him to stop. But as I'm following him, my bow is moving from right to left. I've got these ski poles that are sticking up every two feet and I'm watching the deer, not paying attention to my arrow. And I move my bow and my arrow right into the ski pole, knock the arrow off. It clatters down, makes a commotion, and this, this decent buck goes running off. And that was my first failed big buck encounter. <laughs> now, was it your last one? Yeah. <laughs> well, definitely not my last failed encounter um, at all, really. <laughs> but then, you know, so first bow kill. This was now a couple years after that. I didn't, I didn't have my first bow kill until my late teens. Um, and this is another one of those hunts I can remember really, really well. Um back down the same area down that we called it the flats this is like i said again basically a neighborhood with some woods behind it but the houses were all up on a big hill and then dropped down into this low kind of creek valley creek bottom and um, i was down that bottom in the flats and these deer would always come off the ridge and then kind of cut down into the flats in the evenings and in the mornings they would come from the flats and go up and bed up on the ridge so I was sitting there in the evening, and I, I thought I had things figured out. I was like, all right, I'm in this spot. I, I figured this was, this was a funnel. I 
at that point I knew what a funnel was. I'm like, all right, I'm in a funnel location. It was the rut. It was sometime in November, I think early November. And I'm like, I'm going to kill a deer. And again, I was in one of my little, actually, this was, this was a ground blind still, but it was a pop-up. I'd finally bought my first like pop-up ground blind, a basic, one of the first ones. And, um, I remember sitting there all decked out and excited, probably four o'clock in the afternoon. And I look to my left and I see like white, a flash of white. So I'm like, all right, there's a deer coming. And I realize it's a dog. It's a big white dog. And the behind it is two people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so mad. Like, what are these people doing down here? They're walking right through my family's property. At this point, it must have been getting closer to prime time because I remember thinking they're ruining the entire night's hunt. I was furious. And so they come walk, they're just walking their dog for the evening. And again, this is a neighborhood, so it wasn't like it was totally out of the ordinary for, you know, there to be people walking around the woods, but it was the first time I'd had that happening when I was hunting down there. And so I get out of my blind with my bow and arrow on the bow, and I, like, storm over to them. Like, this is private property. You guys can't be out here, blah, blah, blah. And I was just really fired up and upset. Um, And they were telling me, well, it's, you know, I don't know, some ordinance because of our neighborhood. Supposedly you could walk through this portion of the area I don't know what the deal is, but they claimed to say that they were still okay to be there. I said they couldn't be there, and I was just fuming because my whole hunt was ruined. Um, well, I ended up going up, going back to the blind. They walked around, went their way, and I just remember thinking, the whole night's shot. I'm not going to see anything. But the evening kind of came to a close. It was starting to get dark, and I thought, all right, I've got like 10 minutes left or something. So I'm like, well, why not just try a little rattle? I had a little rattling bag. At that, at that time, I was really big on calls. Um, so I like rattled or grunted like every 20 minutes probably. <laughs> and um, I tried a little rattling sequence there at the very end of the night. And like a couple minutes later, I saw a shape come over the hill. And it was a little four-pointer. And then right behind it was another buck, of, like a six-pointer. And I was like, heck yes. Like this is it. And they came right down kind of quartering towards me. And I remember drawing. And uh, it was one of those things where, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of people can can relate their first couple maybe their first couple of hunts it you kind of black out it was like such a crazy yeah. moment I, I don't really remember what happened I just remember there was a deer I saw it. I drew back the the pin was on him and I let it go and he just took off running and I was freaking out couldn't believe I just shot this deer and I, I remember then going I, you know I heard him run I thought I heard him crash but I wasn't exactly sure um, you know if he did and I hadn't seen him go down so I waited a little bit it went back up to the house and I remember telling my dad all about it and being so excited and, um, you know, expecting him to be really excited. But he was all nervous and upset because of my my confrontation with the neighbor. <laughs> so he was like, well, <laughs> why'd you go towards it? Why'd you yell at him? Or why'd you go out there with your bow? And he was all worried because, you know, again, we were in a neighborhood and we were allowed to, you know, legally we were allowed to hunt there. Um, but he was always worried if the neighbors start complaining, you know, he didn't want to cause trouble. Um, so he was all worried about that. And so we kind of got in a fight about it. <laughs> and then I wanted to go down there and the track the deer, and I had, I had big flashlights. He said, no, I don't want a bunch of big flashlights down there because the neighbor is going to see. So it was a whole <laughs> whole ordeal with that. <laughs> but in the end, it was good. And we actually went to where I heard that crashing, and he was there. And, um, you know, one thing I do remember is when I finally saw the deer lying there dead, it was like shock. Like it was definitely like I was taken aback by it. And almost like that is that it? Like that it didn't even feel like it was my deer, like a deer yeah. I shot. I was like, is that that can't be it? And um, I definitely felt like, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm still not sure what the right words are. You know, all the all the things that still, you know, to a degree, we feel some sense of remorse and sadness and appreciation for that life. But um, you know, realizing that that life has been taken, 
Um, so just, it was a whole lot of emotions, I'm sure. And, um, and that was it. It was kind of a crazy hunt, but it came together and, um, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Those small parcels offer some good stories. I know a couple guys who hunt, um, in some, uh, you know, heavy residential areas and they tell me the the crazy stuff you see (laughs) from a tree stand in the middle of like a suburbia can be, uh, can be interesting to say the least. Yeah. I, uh, I know a lot of guys do it now still, and they're really successful doing it, but I kind of, I like being away from people. Like I I just, it's, it's frustrating to deal with that stuff. And I know a lot of people deal with it and God bless them. But if I can help, if I can help it, I like to be away from that as much as possible. I still have dog issues in a lot of places I hunt and that drives me nuts when dogs come running through. But, um, I really like as much as possible just not to have to see people (laughs) when I'm yeah. That's, that's one thing I like. So, so we've talked a lot here about our first hunts and first experiences and little bucks and first, first things and everything. But what about some of our bigger deer encounters or anything? I don't know, Dan, there's one story in in general or specific I'm thinking of for you. And I don't know if you want to tell a story or not, but I, I don't think we have told it in much detail. But have we? Have you told the shipwreck story? I don't think I have. Um, th- that buck changed my life. I mean, I learned so much about big, mature deer through hunting that specific buck over a five-year period. It's it's made me the hunter that I am today, based off the decisions that I made, how I hunt the wind directions, where I hunt, pinch points, travel corridors. Um, it, it's hard to describe. I mean, he, he gave, he gave me an education and unfortunately I wasn't able to harvest this buck, but, but I gained so much. I mean, he, he means so much to me that hell I named my business after him. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's one of those things where the journey is more, was more important for me than the, than the, the final, the end, I guess you could say, but I'll just run through it. Um, I remember one year I always drove by this piece of property several, several times to go out to another piece of property that I hunted. And all it was, it was three CRP fields, um, and two, three skinny draws that would lead to a fence line. And behind it was another wide open CRP field. And, you know, people don't associate CRP fields with holding deer. And I would see a lot of deer in these CRP fields and I would drive by them every night and every morning. And, and the third year I was driving by this property. I I look and I see a good 150 class buck sitting there and I'm going, man, I'm going to go find out who owns this property. So I went to the courthouse, got a plat map and, uh, ended up, uh, finding who the owner was, knocked on his door and got, uh, got permission to hunt it. So I remember there, remember hunting there the first couple times and seeing a lot of deer, uh, moving my tree stand around to try to find the right spot. And over the course of the first week, the first year I hunted there, the first week in November, I saw, I want to say five deer over, over 170. Uh, Five different five, deer over one. Five seven. deer, five deer 
over 170 inches. Can I tell you something? You call if you call bullshit, that's fine. You can call it. I'm not even gonna call bullshit. I'm just gonna say that is stupid. That's insane. It's dumb. So I'm sitting here going, what the hell? So this this spot is completely overlooked. It's between an interstate and like a lumberyard and another company that makes. And this is out in the country, and it's on one of the busiest roads in the county. And so I'm sitting here going, why are there no? I mean, there's no other tree stands in the in on this property. There's no tracks or signed that anybody's ever been here. The timber's wide open. So what made the spot good is it connected just by a small 50-yard kind of pinch point to another gigantic piece of really thick property and all the way down to a river and another main road. And this, it held a ton of deer. I mean, I, I, I saw 15 deer over uh, probably 140, 150 that year. Wow. Now, is, is all the activity that you're seeing or were seeing there during the rut? Uh, yeah, it was okay. d- during the rut. And I had, I had just got my first trail camera that year. Nice. So, um, so I set it up in a pinch point, and I was, I was getting some of the smaller deer on it, but I wasn't getting any of the big bucks. And one buck, or I remember – watching a whole bunch of movement and seeing signs and scrapes in this one corner where the one draw would connect to the the big chunk of timber. And I go, I got to get a tree stand there. So I set up a tree stand in a, in a, a group of three trees, two of them were dead. And in the bottom of it was a beehive. (laughs) And I had to crawl up, uh, up, uh, the tree stand to a beehive. (laughs) And in like 2007, I think was the first year that I, I saw um, that I was uh, hunting there. A majority of the deer I saw were at a distance in uh, coming across different parts of these CRP fields. And I was doing a lot of playing cat and mouse, but basically set up in observation stands. So I made a move in one night to, to see or to try to catch one of the deer that I had seen go, come in and out of this place um, previous hunts. And... I had my I had the wind blowing into the CRP field, kind of at a southeast ang- angle, and here down, here comes uh, here comes a, a a deer walks by, small buck. About twenty minutes later, I rattle and then I do a grunt, and uh, here comes two more bucks out of this really thick stuff, and then out of the corner of my eye, I catch a split G two, like a really big G two, and I turn around. And I'm actually filming, filming at this point, and it is the biggest one. It, it, it's uh, at that time I think shipwreck was probably 170s, and uh, as a as probably a four year old, and um, he he comes through. I'm trying to get him on camera. I let him walk through one of my shooting lanes. Once We've again, another example yeah. of the dang cameras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he comes up and he stops right behind a tree. And he, by this time he's at 10 yards. I draw back. The only shot I had was at from like the very last rib to the hindquarters. And I said, I can't take that shot. He needs to take one step backwards or two steps out because he wanted to go check out in the CRP field mm-hmm. to see where this noise is coming from. And then all of a sudden the wind must have swirled and whew, gone. I mean, he took off. And I'm just like, oh my God, 
that was the biggest buck I ever shot or ever like at that time had seen there, there'd be only been a couple other bucks bigger than that that I've ever seen. And, um, and it, I was just like, Oh my gosh, this spot holds. So I continued hunting the, the rest of the year. I didn't see him one another time. I, I set up trail cameras, um, the following year and to hope to, and with some mineral hope, hopefully I would catch him. I didn't catch him. Uh, I got one trail camera picture of him in 2008 and that was, um, he had broken off one of his sides and it, and it was over top of a pile of corn. 2009 rolls around and, um, I, I started the, the chase for him again. And one of my good friends, Kyle, who was filming me this, this particular day, um, I, I started focusing a lot of attention on this property for, for good reasons. But over the years, the number of mature deer started disappearing. I think a lot of it had to do with, uh, A, shipwreck being so dominant that he started kicking all these other bucks out. Mm-hmm. And B, I think the word started to get out of this area and how many deer were getting, how many big bucks were getting hit by cars on the, on the interstate and how many people were starting to see them. So shipwreck, I'm sitting there one night and, uh, on a Northwest wind, I'm sitting with Kyle, we're filming this hunt and all of a sudden he, uh, I, I, I had seen him like two nights before in different, in different, uh, different tree stands. And on this typical north, uh, northwest wind, there was a particular draw that would that run ran right across or right parallel with the CRP field all the way down into the creek. And there, all of a sudden, I heard three does pop out. You know, some noise. They were kind of trotting through this thick stuff that led up to an open patch of timber where these draws met, and that's where my tree stand was at. And one doe comes out through a shooting lane. The next doe comes out through a shooting lane. The next doe comes out through a shooting lane. And I look back into this thicket, and there's there's shipwreck. At this at this time, he's probably 190. And no, sta- yeah, go ahead, Dan. Is this is this the video where he's off to your left side in the timber a little bit? Yep. This yep. He's off, okay. he's off to the left side in the timber, and. Uh, he just holds up and he's, he's sitting there and he's watching these does walk off and I'm thinking I'm going to have a crack at him at 25 yards. He's going to walk through this tree. He's going to follow these does right out and up in this draw. And, uh, he stops at about 40 yards, but he's in some thick, some thick, uh, brush and he just sits there and he's so patient and he waits puts his nose in the air and by this time I knew it was him and I'm just like oh like for some reason I was completely calm I didn't have buck fever at all and and then all of a sudden he's he's he steps out and he walks away from me right on the edge of the thick stuff where it opens up and just disappears and I'm just like oh my god so of course, I'm thinking he doesn't. He didn't bust me or anything like that. Hunted the rest of the year. Didn't uh, didn't find you know didn't uh, didn't see him. 
And okay, so two that so I'm, I become good friends with one of the landowners who borders the property, and he lets me know that they found they find his sheds. Some turkey hunters had found his sheds in uh, the spring of 2010, and I think my ears are right here. But so again, I start popping. I buy more trail cameras. I get trail cameras out there. I get mineral station, and sure enough, he's there. This year, he was 200, or that year, 2010, he got to about, oh, 210 inches. <laughs> and so, so my buddy Ryan is now filming me. And we're about, like, I, I, had, I pretty much put all my, all my energy towards this one buck. So 2000, and, it's 2010. I've been hunting this deer for, you know, almost four years now, four straight seasons. And, and so now this buck is becoming like a legend in my eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, and being able to share that legend with friends and showing them the trail camera pictures and whatnot. And I, you know, we, we played cat and mouse with him a lot. We saw him in one draw. So we moved over there the next day and, you know, these deer are so smart. He, He was so smart. He would use the slightest bit of wind change would result in him doing a completely different thing. And so I, I kind of, I'm looking here and I'm like, I need to gain access to a different piece of property. So I, I contact this other person and I get permission to hunt it. So I bounce around in probably 50 to 60, I'd say a hundred square acres. No, I'd say, I'd say probably a 50 square, 50 acres of like two pinch points. And that's the only trees. It's in a giant CRP field. Mm -hmm. And I finally get into this big oak tree. I'm setting up there and it's my, it's my birthday, November 5th. And I'm setting up there strictly as an observation stand. The wind was kind of wrong for what I wanted it to, to be. And I'm watching all these deer funnel up up top where I had my encounter with him the previous year. So I'm like, tonight, if this wind stays the same, we're going back up into that tree stand. And it was a morning hunt. And all of a sudden, I look out of the corner of my eye. It's like nine o'clock in the afternoon or nine o'clock in the morning. And I look out of the corner of my eye. And it's one of those things where you just know who it is. I look behind, I go, Ryan, at shipwreck, get ready because I'm shooting him whether you're ready or not. <laughs> and he comes out and he, I just remember, I just remember him catching his antler on a, on a low hanging branch and he had to pick his head up and try to, you know, force it through, mm-hmm. force his antlers through. And it was just the most glorious sight I'd ever seen and- in my life. What's he look like at this point, at this age? Like, uh, tell me about the body and the antlers and everything. You said he was over 200 inches, but what kind of rack are we talking about? What's this deer look he's like a, coming through? Okay, so he's like a mainframe 11 with junk all over the place. This year, that year that I that I had the encounter with him, um, he had he had like little drop tines. He had um, junk coming off his bases. He had. Uh, kickers off of his G2s and 3s and um, his main beams one main beam was just like a normal antler and the other main beam would just was 
all mass and it swept straight up. You know, you look at the sheds and it's a completely different deer. You would say these antlers don't go together, <laughs> but they did. Um, he had a, a really big split G2 on his, oh geez, I should know this, on his right side and uh, kickers off off it and um what i what i'll do is i'll give you a picture of him in his glory and you can uh mm-hmm. you, you can post it but uh he comes out 22 yards dead broadside and i draw back i settle the pin and i and i'll be honest with you i i i had let the moment get away from me because it's just like four years all built up and now this is my moment right yeah so you know like how i said said i've talked to you before i'm like act like you've been there Mm -hmm. i had never been there i wasn't acting like i'd ever been there and i was like (laughs) i was kind of shaken but i remember taking an extra (gasps) and i released the arrow and it hit him and he it kind of dropped down he rolled and not like you know not rolled on the ground but he took that big dip you know like the mm-hmm. the bolt the yeah. pre-bolt stride where they duck down and then they just roll out and and he he disappeared into the into the timber and i lost my mind tell me about that i i was crying i i i looked back to ryan and i'm just like what i i didn't know what to say i didn't know what to do i i <laughs> I had this feeling and it's kind of funny because the only thing that I can really relate it to is like the first time you've ever had sex. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <There> go. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's like that. It's just like Oh jeez. It's like oh my god, this just happened. I want to give myself a high five. I want to like break down and just like and then and then all the years of stories and stuff like that and I'm just like oh my god this is this it, it happened it happened i get down out of the tree i and i'm just like because I, I swear i hit him a little high but at the angle i was at i'm like dude i got good penetration i had 11 inches of penetration on him so you're saying dead deer right i'm i'm, I'm thinking i go down i get the arrow i wasn't saying dead deer quite yet but i crawled out of the tree and went to the impact site i found the arrow he had the broadhead and about five inches of arrows still in him. And then, so I, what I did was I put the two arrows together. I measured um, what I felt was penetration and then how, how much was still in him because the arrow broke. And about 11 inches of penetration and the, uh, the broadhead was still in him. And at the site, there was good blood. There was good blood you know, so anyway, I backed out, got some friends to help. Um, we, we followed the blood trail and I'm like, good blood, good blood, good blood, pink blood with bubbles in it. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Yes. I mean, I'm just, I can't wait to walk up on him. And, and all of a sudden we crossed this little ditch and he rubs his body up against a, a tree and it's just soaking in blood. He comes up out of the ditch no more blood. And I felt at that moment, I'm just like, what happened? Like I, I, at that point I start replaying 
replaying and replaying and replaying this into my head over and over and over and over again. And I know this story is kind of dragged out, but I just remember someone pulling the life out of me. And although I didn't want to admit it, I had a gut feeling at that time that was, you're not going to find him. That is the worst feeling. And it, 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 I've had other instances like this with deer, but that particular moment was different because I had such a huge history with this deer. And it was almost like I felt guilty for not killing him because I just wounded him and he's going to mm-hmm. die and I'm going to find his corpse during shed season or, or whatever. Yeah. And so the next, the next part of this story will be real fast, but I, I dump corn out after the season's over or anyway, I, I don't find him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it tears me up. And from the very first moment I ever saw shipwreck in 2007 till to this day, I still think about that buck every day now that he's dead because the following year, the property owner to the next, the next property owner shot him who is Sam Calora. He's well-renowned um, in the kind of industry as a big buck killer. This is his, that was his like third 200 inch deer he's ever shot. And, and third North it, American whitetail cover. Third, third North American whitetail cover. Yeah. The cool part about this is the story of that deer in North American whitetail is not about a big buck getting killed. It's about the history of that deer and the friendship that became of it. Because like between me and Sam, because a lot of this, a lot of people would be jealous because he called me up at work and he's like, uh, Dan, I got some bad news for you slash good news for me. And I knew exactly what I was talking about. He had killed the deer and I was one of the first people that he called. And I thought that was so awesome. Yeah. And this, I don't know. Did you happen to read the story? Oh, I yeah. think you, yeah. Oh, yeah. So like the story, it, it's not really about a big deer getting shot. It's about the history of this deer and what it meant to the people who, who were in this deer's life. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I do too. The story, so, the story was really, really well done. And, yeah. uh, one of our past podcast guests, Scott Bestel wrote that yep. story, right? Yep. He yeah. interviewed me and I remember it's, it's crazy just how all that works. But even though I didn't kill that deer, the education I got from him is worth way more than any mount on a wall can ever, can ever give you. Absolutely. And, and like I said, and, and sorry for that, the story took so long, but it's one of those stories that you have to tell it a certain way or it's not worth getting told. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. 
comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. So, I think um, something interesting you said there, right? You said it, it, this story and that experience is worth, you know, even more than having, you know, a buck on, a wall, on the wall. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of non-hunters see deer on the wall and they're like, you know, that that's a, you know, some kind of sick trophy hunter just kills all these deer just to put their head on the wall, to have some decorations and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think what it really is, at least for me, and I think a lot of guys I know, um, is that that it, it's not just a trophy. It's, it's the memories. It's the story. It's the experience. And, and every time you see that, you think through all those things. And for you, because you had such a rich experience and such a deep story and history, you don't need that symbol on the wall. You have the pictures and the memories and the experiences that will live with you forever that, yep. that means so much. And, um, yep. that that's pretty great. He, you know, he's still, he's your buck in some way because of yep. the, the impact that deer and that hunt had on you. And that's, it's pretty cool. And I think it's really cool how you handled that whole situation, how, um, I don't know what the right word is, but how not like an ass that you were to, yeah. to, to Sam about it. And you could have been upset and you could have been jealous and all these different things. And I'm sure there might've been a little bit of you that was bummed oh, yeah. that, that it wasn't you. Right. Yeah. But still, you know, you handled it like a champ and you took that experience and you learned from it and you became a better hunter because of it. And, uh, I think that's, that's the right way to handle it. And that's really the only positive way you can, you know, move from a situation right. like that. I think one of the coolest things to this whole story is, I remember going into Sam's shop and to personally congratulate him and just be like, man, this is, this is, I, I'm so happy for you. And I wanted, I wanted to tell him how much that buck meant to me. And he knew, he knew how much it meant to me. And two things he told for two, two things. He said, Hey, I want to show you something in my back here. He took me in the back and he showed me his antlers. And I got to touch and hold shipwreck and look at him from that, the year that Sam shot him and, and, and hold the, the skull mount. And I, I, I broke down. It was like, 
although I am not the reason behind its death, I feel like I had been a part of this buck's life. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. Now, the second thing I wish you would have never told me was he goes, yeah, uh, you shot him. Here's a scar where uh, the scar was here. There's a scar in here. Uh, you definitely hit one of his lungs, and I have no idea how this buck survived your shot. Yeah. And I'm just like, you son of a bitch. I wish you never told me that <laughs> because for the rest for the rest of that like that day at work, I was sitting at my computer and I just was like, you know, you don't ever want to think like this, but one inch. Mm-hmm. One inch down, half inch down, half inch to the left, half inch to the right, whatever. Oh yeah, and, and it eat, it's eats you up a little bit, but that only lasts for so long, and then, yeah, you gotta you gotta move on move, eventually, right? Move, move on, but you know, to this day, when I sit there and uh, um, when I sit there and I'm setting up tree stands, or I'm thinking of what what wind to play, uh, you know, in a certain area, I always think kind of a what would shipwreck do type of scenario, and it's it's helped me. It's it has helped me over the years get really close to some pretty big deer. And although I don't have a you know uh, an impressive wall of mounts, I've I've had encounters with some ton tons of world class animals based on my education that shipwreck gave me. That is and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, uh, I don't have a story that can really match that, Dan. <laughs> But it's not about – that's my story. You know what I mean? And just like the listeners out there, you got to make your own stories, you know? And mm-hmm. it's it's not about what this guy or the next guy does. It's about what you do. And that's really all that matters. Who cares if, you know, big name Buck Hunter has killed four, four booners? What are you doing? Yeah. Because you're not going to share – you know, for me, I'm not going to share Mark – no offense, but I'm not going to share Mark Kenyon stories with my kids. I'm going to share my stories with my kids, mm-hmm. just like you're going to share your stories with your kids. And I don't know. That's just my two cents. Oh, I think you're spot on. I think that's so important because you know, we talk about this a lot, but so many people see what's on TV and in the DVDs and on the magazines, and they feel like that they need to be shooting those kinds of deer or seeing those kinds of deer to, to have a story worth telling or to have a hunt worth talking about. And that's just not the truth. You know, right. you got to chase what's, what gets you excited and what makes you happy and what challenges you and brings you fulfillment and, uh, and do that and do it unapologetically. And, yeah. uh, I think that's what I encourage everyone to do. So yeah. what do you think, Dan? Um, what kind of story do you want me to tell? Do you want me to give you a, you know, how about this? We've had a really, that was a really deep story, uh, yeah. an important story, a life lesson story. Do you want to hear a kind of funny story? I love funny stories and right. you're going to, you're probably going to say, Dan, that's in a, this is inappropriate, uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay. but any story like that has to do with pooping from a tree stand, I find those, <laughs> I find those hilarious. So if you have one of those, I'd love to hear it. But if not, you know, I mean, I, I wish I had another good pooping from a tree stand story for you, <laughs> but I can't beat the one you told earlier when you were. Letting letting it go while Ryan was sitting there next to you, <laughs> I can't match that. <laughs> I did have to like I should have just done what you did and went. Well, God, we can't do another episode where we talk about pooping on tree stands, so I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> or, or we should have one episode entirely dedicated to pooping out of a tree stand. 
Oh, give me a, this give might me. this podcast might even get a PG thirteen rating. Right, we might need to adjust the writing scale here. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's a funny story. Um, I, I don't. Th- I'm pretty sure I have I have not told this story on this podcast, but I have been a guest on a couple other podcasts where I have told the story. So. If you heard one of those times, I apologize, but I, I got to tell it just for the general listener group here on Wired Hunt. Dan, I don't, you tell me if I've told you this one, but I don't think I did. Did I ever tell you the story about um, the deer hunting story I told my colleagues at my, my old day job? I don't, I don't think so. I don't remember. I, I, I remember you telling them the shed hunting story and they actually, they thought <laughs> shed hunting was you're going to go out and build, find a building. Yeah, so so that that's good context for the story because, right, this is the same people. So, you know, I got this job out of college um, with a big tech company out in Silicon Valley, so out there uh, south of San Francisco in California. And they shipped me out there, and we lived in these kind of corporate apartments for, the, for four or five months while I was working there. And all of us that all started together all kind of lived together in these apartments, and we'd have like potlucks every Friday and all this stuff. So of course I'm the only one who works for this company that does anything outdoors or the hunts or, or anything like that. And they're all kind of like, who is this guy? He's a wild man. Um, so they, they asked me lots of questions. So eventually we had one of these potluck dinners and at this point I was like dying. Like this, this is kind of when wired to hunt really took off because I couldn't hunt. I couldn't do all these things I love to do. So I would just work all day and then come back to my little apartment and just work on wired to hunt all night for like eight hours a night. So I went to this little dinner and there was like maybe 20 of these people that I worked with all there. And somehow someone was like, tell us a deer hunting story, Mark. Um, you know, they'd never heard a deer hunting story before. So I was like, well, okay, yeah, I'll tell you a story. So I kind of stand up and, you know, I can sometimes be a little bit of a ham. So I really, (laughs) (laughs) and I realized I had like the audience, the perfect audience for a story like this. So I stand up in front of them, get really, oh yeah, big time. I get a really serious look on my face. I said, well, this guys, this is a story that's kind of hard to tell because it's such a, it was a huge moment for me and one of the worst, but most defining moments of my life. Um, but it was it was a perfect autumn day, and I think it was late October, in the afternoon, probably 37 to 40 degrees, just like you said, kind of that sweatshirt weather. I was sitting in there when it was a beautiful night, sitting in the tree stand. I you know I had to explain to them that I had to, you have this ladder or steps up the tree, and then you sit up in this tree stand 20 feet up. And I was waiting for deer to come through, and I was bow hunting. And they couldn't believe you bow hunt. You shoot with bow and arrow. Oh my gosh, that's so incredible. Um, so I'm out there with my bow. And um, a couple hours in, I saw some squirrels, I saw a turkey, saw a coyote, and then finally a deer appeared, and it's a buck. And he starts walking towards me, and he's, and he's walking, he's getting closer and closer. My heart's starting to beat a little faster, a little faster. My breathing gets a little bit tense, and I grab my bow. And as I grab my bow, the arrow is on the end, and it knocks a tree branch, and the arrow falls off from the bow and clatters to the ground. And I have no other arrows for whatever reason. <laughs> I have no other arrows. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what did you do? I said, well, I, this buck was coming and I, I couldn't let the opportunity slip through my fingers. So as he slowly approaches, I stand up ever so slowly, making sure that this tree stand, the tree stand doesn't creak, making sure I don't move too fast. And I slowly move around to the backside of the tree and put one foot on the ladder step and then a hand and then another foot. And I slowly begin climbing down the ladder 
while I'm doing the sedira's heading straight towards my tree. Very slowly, nipping at this leaf, nipping at that leaf, coming a little bit closer, taking a step, looking around, taking a step, looking around. And every time he puts his head down the ground, I take another step down the ladder. This goes on for 10 minutes. Every time he stops and looks around, I had to hold my breath because I was afraid that the frost and the steam coming out of my mouth might be visible to him. Well, I finally get to the bottom of the tree, but I'm on the opposite side of the tree from him. He's now coming closer. He's about five yards away, walking right towards my tree. And as he gets a little bit closer, I reach into my pocket, and I pull out my skinning knife. And I hand, I've got my knife in one hand, I've got my left arm holding onto the ladder, and the deer takes one more step. And I was right in front of the tree. And he finally takes one more step just past the tree. And I swing down, grab the deer around the neck, pull him down to the ground, and slit his throat. <laughs> and at that point, I had 20, you know, adults staring at me with their eyes wide open, their mouths down to the ground, just like completely enraptured and like uh, possibly horrified by me. And I just stood there, you know, and I, I had acted this all out with my hands so they could see me slit the throat with my hand. And I just stared at them kind of with a wild eyed look in my face. And they were just like, they didn't say anything for like 10 seconds. Everyone just stared at me and I just stared back at them. <laughs> and then finally I just started to crack up and I was like, that's, that's just a made up story. And then they just... <laughs> They they freaked out and they're like, oh my god, that's the most the craziest story. And then you know they they couldn't handle it and they were just amazed by. Uh, they really really believed I did that and um, kind of lived on it in infamy for that. So that's that's the best deer hunting story I ever told and the best reaction I ever got from a deer hunting story. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great moment. It was a great moment. <laughs> I'll tell a really really short funny one. Um, my brother. My brother and I don't typically hunt. My brother's not a hunter. But once a year now, we've kind of had a tradition where he'll, he'll come up and get in the tree stand with me. Don't don't look, don't judge him, but he's a golfer, Mark. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's one of those guys. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was kind of waiting for a buck to come by, and I really wasn't too you know interested in uh, – and I can really tell the story without laughing. But, um, but we get in the tree – and, and a couple of does, does come by and it's a, it's a, a mature doe with two, with two like yearlings and the mature doe starts farting <laughs> <laughs> and every time she farted, the little bucks or the little deer would get scared and like trot off and then like be on alert for a little bit and then slowly work their way back. And this kind of just kept going on. And finally, me and my brother are laughing so hard in the we can't like we can't muffle it anymore. We're just laughing that the deer notice us and run away. So this deer's flatulence probably saved her life. But we're sitting in the tree stand just laughing, just belly laughing. That's amazing. It was hilarious. I've never heard a deer fart, I don't think. Oh, my God. I hear him fart all the time. It must really? be an Iowa thing. A lot, of, a lot of starch or yeah. beans. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I um, Speaking of sounds, here's another story. This is one of my favorite um, hunting memories. And it, it won't be quite as funny to people because they don't know the person. But my grandpa, again, like I've talked about, he had a huge impact on my life and my hunting. And he's a very very serious guy 
he was military, big time military guy. And, um, you know, he always had his rules and everything had to be spick and span and just right. And, um, just typically was, was by the book, straight and narrow military guy. Well, we're at hunting camp during gun season, you know, the whole crew's up there. And, um, it was just, you know, it was in the evening. We're all kind of sitting around. It's just a one room little cabin with a wood burning stove and a couple couches. And, uh, um, we kind of just sit around the stove and talk and, you know, have a coffee or beer or Coke or whatever. And that was kind of the evening. Sometimes play cards. Well, this night I remember we were all sitting out there just kind of talking in the cabin. And my dad and my uncle said, ah, let's go for a walk. They asked if anybody else wanted to go, but no one did. So my dad and uncle decided to go for a walk. It must have been like a full moon. It was pretty bright out. And um, there's a an old, well, not old, there's a two-track that leads from our cabin. It's way back deep in the woods, leads back out to the, the closest road. But it's probably three-quarters of a mile or half a mile. So we're way back off there, back in this deep swamp. So when you're walking down this two-track, heading back towards the main road, you, you, you there's no lights. There's no other houses. There's nothing out there. It's just you and then, you know, the deep timber and swamp kind of on either side of you. So they go off and they go on this walk through the woods. Me and my grandpa and I think another one of my uncles and maybe uh, I think there was someone else. There. We're all just kind of sitting around um, talking and I don't know what, whatever we're doing, socializing. Well, eventually we were playing cards or something. My grand, grandpa went outside to go to the restroom because um, there's kind of, you know, on a tree outside there's an outhouse and the rest of us continue talking and whatever laughing blah 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 well maybe 15 minutes go by and I all of a sudden hear crashing on the deck like crash 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 big stomps and the door flings open and it's my dad and my uncle my dad at this point was probably 40 45 something like that so he's an, he's an old not old but he's an adult um and my uncle and they were panting like they were panting and they were panicked. And they walk in and they're like, We just got chased by a bear. I'm like, What? He's like, Yeah, we just got chased by a bear. And they're just they they had literally ran like a quarter mile down this two track while they thought there had been a bear chasing them. And they're like, Oh my gosh, yeah, we were walking down the two track and we start hearing steps in the woods. And we kept walking and we looked at each other and like could that be a bear? Because there's a lot of black bears up there. And um, then they heard, like, crashing and getting closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, like, coming right towards them. And they turned, and they're like, we're going to run. And they sprinted all the way back to the cabin. So they're telling us this story, like, literally, like, oh, my gosh, we just had, like, a life flash before our eyes moment. And we're all, like, enraptured, like, staring at them, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. And then my grandpa, who we all had forgotten, had gone out to the restroom steps back in the cabin and just starts chuckling. And we look at him like, what are you laughing about? He's like, that bear was me. <laughs> and we, <laughs> he had snuck like deep into the woods. Like this is, it's just, isn't something he would ever do. I would never have imagined him do this, but he snuck all the way through the woods to get close to them and then make all this crashing coming towards them and scared the living bejesus out of them. Oh my god! That's something that we will just, I will never forget that how much we laughed that just seeing my dad and my uncle that flustered and having, you know, that was a long ways for my dad to run at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Just awesome. So that was, uh, that was a great, uh, great moment up at Ken Robin. <laughs> oh, memories. Yeah. Memories. What, uh, what else do you got, Dan? Any other big experiences that stand out for you? Well, I can tell you, I can tell you a couple learning experiences. Yeah. Um, and I'll, it's another kind of a short story, but I had gained access to a farm um, in a different part of the county. 
that I that I hunt in, and um, there which my trail cameras caught some some big bucks, and it was in the middle of the rut, and it was uh, warmer than normal, so I'm sitting here in this tree stand, and I, and I had decided to sit all day long, and uh, so I packed the lunch and whatnot, and that night I I actually witnessed my very first buck fight. Um, nice. probably a 150 and a 160 class, wow. uh, probably 80 yards, 80 yards away from me tangled. And that was awesome. And if you ever watch people on TV rattle and they, they, they kind of tinkle their antlers and, and racks to their, their horns together, uh, that does not sound anything like a buck fight. <laughs> a buck fight sounds like a car rolling through the timber just crash boom bang and then you hardly hear the antlers at all you'll hear them when they shift their their heads Mm -hmm. but it's just pushing back and forth branches snapping leaves crashing and and i mean they're falling down they're getting back up and uh so the next time you see someone rattle on tv and they're just tickling the antlers together uh you should call them out on it anyway i'm it's sitting there um it's unusually warm and that was in the morning when I heard the buck fight. So it had been eight hours, nine hours, and I still had not seen a deer. And uh, so I'm like, and it's like 70 degrees, and I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm getting down. And that night was the last night I ever left. I had I, I, I left the stand early again. I walked down to this creek, hopped this fence into this big CRP field, and standing on a trail that was leading to my stand was uh, the most beautiful deer I have, I have, most beautiful typical deer I have yet to see in my life. Mm. Uh, a 200, easily 200 inch 10 pointer, no junk, staring right at me. And he had a chocolate rack and his tips were like, uh, almost like an elk. You know how elk get those ivory uh-huh. tips? Yeah. Um, he had, he had those whitish tips and I just remember looking at him going, I wonder if I could, nope, there he went. And (laughs) he just bounded up over the, over the hill. And and that was the first and only time I'd ever seen that buck. Uh, probably the third biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. That's right there. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy that that is the third biggest buck you've ever seen in your life. Here, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you the story of the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. Shipwreck wasn't the biggest buck you've ever seen? Shipwreck was not the biggest buck. Not even close. <sighs> Can I just tell you, I don't even like you as a person. I know. I know. I, I just don't even. <laughs> so here's, here's, ridiculous. A, here's a really short story. I'm driving back home one night, and there's some deer on this blacktop that I, south of my south of my house in, um, where I hunt, and or where I used to live. And I had to slow down because there was this lady who, who owned a house and had a whole bunch of bird feeders out and the deer would eat out of these bird feeders so i had to slow i always would slow down and the house was on one side of the road and there was a barn and some other uh sheds on the other side and there was a yard light what what kind of sheds are we talking about here we're we're talking about holding tractors and and, uh (laughs) those kind of sheds Okay. okay so i'm i'm i slow down and i let this doe and I look over, I, I let this doe run in front of me because she's heading over to the bird feeders. And I look, and there's some other does already, um, uh, you know, already eating off the bird feeder. And I look to my right, underneath of this, underneath of this yard light, 
stands the most magnificent animal I have ever seen in my life. I don't know what a world record, what, what it would take to beat the world record typical buck, but this buck's G2s, G3s, and G4s, and I, it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating, we're probably all over 14 inches. Ugh. Mass, his, his, his bases looked like, I mean, this looked like a Larry Zach painting, typical whitetail. Extremely wide, way out past his ears, just a giant cage of an animal. And I let go of my steering wheel and I just turned my head and watched as my car rolled by. (laughs) And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, I I don't believe my eyes, basically. And then I stopped. I drove up to the the next driveway, pulled in, turned around, and came back. And he, by that time, he was gone. Yeah. Okay. But I got a really good look at him. The next day, I go over and I knock on the farmer's door. <laughs> and this is on a a, a, a popular blacktop. Mm-hmm. And I say, "Hi, my name's uh, Dan, and um, I was just uh, kind of curious. I see you got a lot of deer on your property. Would you?" And before I can finish my sentence, he goes. You saw him, didn't you? <laughs> and he goes, nope. And I go, <laughs> I said, I said, uh, I go, fair enough. And I just said, I go, all I said to him was good luck. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that buck was killed. Um, it's one of those deer that if, if it was, you would have heard about it. Wow. Pictures would have surfaced. It it was it, I'm gonna have I'm not I'm gonna throw out a number here I'm gonna say somewhere between 220 and 230 as a typical probably 16 pointer I mean he had he was an eight by eight that's crazy it's a Bull- big deer yeah huge deer huge deer yeah wow so you know that's that is why I love just going to somewhere like Iowa yeah like for me you know, here in Michigan and and again, not trying to knock Michigan, but I'm just not going to see deer like that. Um, you know, if I see a 120 in the field, I'm like, Ooh, it was a big buck. Um, but like when I go to Ohio or to Iowa, especially, I just love driving around just to see the, you know, because you you never know what you're going to see. You can see a 160 or 170 or 180 or 220. Um, I just love seeing deer like that. That is awesome. Like I have a, my first, uh, season I ever hunted Iowa, we went there during the summer to do some scouting and hang some tree stands and do um, a little bit of velvet filming. And I'm with my buddies, Ross, Kendall, and Pete, and we're driving around and we're coming down this road. And I remember looking up, it's a little dirt road, country lane, and I just see this big, we were actually sitting there stopped because there was a little buck bedded down some beans to the right of us. And we're looking out the window at this deer and then someone says, there's a deer crossing the road. And we look across the road and there's a big buck just running across the road, maybe a hundred yards in front of us. And he jumps across the road and there's a little fence row along the road and then another big bean field. And so he hops and he goes into the fence row. And I'm just like, the first thing I thought was I need to get, I got to try to video this. Day. I want to see this deer up close. So I hopped out of the truck and I kind of scoot up to the edge of the field and he's still in the fence row. So he can't see me. And I crawl up to the edge of the soybean field, with my video camera, and I kind of wait there. I'm waiting, hoping that the buck's going to come out into the field. And I'll be able to see him in my binoculars or film, him, film him or something. And he starts walking down the edge of the field right towards me. And eventually, like 20 yards away from me, walks right in front of me. And this is just, at that point, 
and probably still to this day, I think, if I think about it, the biggest buck I've ever seen. And he is like somewhere in the 180s. And at that point, just the biggest thing I've ever seen by far, just a giant, huge. And he had like um, his brow tines. It wasn't just like a single brow tine. It was like like a circular saw blades, like big serrated edges all the way up his brow tines, just huge frame wrapping around and just the most beautiful deer I'd ever seen. And he just comes slowly feeding his way right in front of me. I just have the coolest video footage and the coolest memory of just seeing this beautiful deer like 20 yards away from me in the fading light, in the bean field, just unbelievable. And, you know, only in a place like Iowa or one of these other couple states can you, you know, have that happen on a random night. Like, it's just the coolest thing to be close to an animal like that. Um, And that's still an experience I think about today as like one of the coolest deer experiences I've ever had. I just... uh Man, and I actually have that video. I don't, I don't know if you ever saw that, Dan, but I posted that video up on Wired to Hunt before. Yep, um, I've seen it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I can put that in the show notes for anyone that wants to check that out. That was uh, pretty cool. Very cool. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what it's all about, man. Unfortunately, I just wish that on some of these stories we would be on the opposite end instead of the, hey, I just have a story. Um, it'd be nice one of these days to get one of those, hey, let me show you. You know, let me show yeah. you this buck. He's downstairs. You know what I mean? I, I, I agree. But then you know what I think about when you say that too? It's all, we've got these incredible stories, and yep. we both we both killed some big bucks. But you know, it's those aren't the stories that we're telling here. Like those aren't right. necessarily sure. We do tell those stories sometimes, but that's not you know when we kill a deer. That's not necessarily always going to be the story and the memory that has the greatest impact on us. It's these other things. It's the time Grandpa scared Dad, or it's the time mm. that you and your brother saw doe farting. Or, <laughs> you know, and I think it's, I think that's one of the really, really cool things about what we do about deer hunting and hunting and being in the outdoors is the time we get to spend with family and friends, and the experiences and the lessons learned. And um, I think this is a good reminder for me and maybe some other people out there that. You know, when it comes right down to it, putting a bullet or an arrow in a big buck or whatever, you know, it isn't life and death. It's not the most important thing. And sometimes I think we need to look back on these stories and these memories and remember how great these are. Right. It's not all about the kill. Yeah. I think uh, I think that's probably a good place to end off, too. This has been a longer episode than usual, too, but we just, uh, I guess once we get talking, we can't stop, can we? Well, say, I mean, and I know me and you, we could keep going. We could. <laughs> we could. We could definitely keep going. Yeah, but uh, I imagine there's some people who, well, they might, already, might have already signed off like enough of these yeah. guys talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you guys are pissing me off. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a good tip in there at all. But, <laughs> all right, my friend. Uh, don't leave your tree stand early. There, there's the tip. There you go. Good lesson learned. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. So, let's shut it down. We'll uh, we'll be back next week with hopefully some, some good lessons learned, strategies and tips and whatnot. But I think for today... This is a good place for us to end. And uh, I know this wasn't our usual information-packed episode, but I hope you guys still enjoyed this this little trip down memory lane. And maybe you two were able to think back on some of your great stories and memories. And um, maybe, just like just like I've been here, reminded of, of how important those things are. So, yep. so that said, I guess, wrapping things up, if you have been enjoying the podcast, as we always ask, if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes, that's really, really helpful. That helps us get the show in front of new people and it helps, you know, let people know who are looking for a deer hunting podcast, you know, whether or not this is one that's worth their time. And I think, and I hope that a lot of you think it is. So, so thank you for sharing that. 
Also, if you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You can do that on iTunes, on the Apple Podcast app, on the Stitcher app, um, wherever it might be for you. Make sure you subscribe so you get the future episodes downloaded right to your phone or your tablet or your computer every week. That way you don't need to think about it. You're just going to wake up on Thursday mornings, and there it is. So that makes it super easy. Um, also want to thank our partners who help make this show possible. So big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, thank you to all of you listening today. You know, there's some very, very exciting things on the horizon for Wired to Hunt and for the podcast. And it's all because you guys and girls have all been so supportive. So thanks for your time. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for giving us your feedback. And thank you for staying Wired to Hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.